On this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast, we're talking Packers and Debo Samuel, the USFL. The Bucks playoff series is underway with an unexpected twist. The Brewers are in the midst of a three-game winning streak. We'll finish things up today with a moment with Giannis and somewhere mixed in. You know how much I love hot takes. Can't stand them. But I got a bunch today, so we'll get to it all coming up. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in once again. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis, TGIF to you if you're tuning in and listening today as we're putting this together on a Friday, a little bit of a gloomy Friday outside here in the 414. But nonetheless, a bunch of sports to get through. But before that, please make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Would definitely appreciate it whether you found us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Glad to have you, as I noted, with us. So let's start with some football news. And in a moment, when we get through this initial story, I want to continue to talk about the USFL because I'm fascinated by the USFL's ability to survive. And I know in past episodes, I've said you have to look at week four and week five with regards to the viewership As far as survival, I might even push that up a little bit, but we'll get to that in a moment. So the big news out of the NFL this weekend is the fact that Debo Samuel, the unbelievably talented receiver slash, I guess we can call him running back for the San Francisco 49ers, has made it known to the San Francisco 49ers that he wants to be traded. Now, Samuel is under contract through the 2022 season. So the 49ers could just say, you know what, we know you want to be traded, but we don't care. We're we're just going to hold on to you anyway. I think the crux in reading some of these various things with Debo Samuel is the fact that he's tired of being pummeled as a running back. He's been this multifaceted offensive attack for Kyle Shanahan out there on the West Coast, and he's getting, I think, a little bit tired of the beating he's taken when he's technically a wide receiver. So Samuel obviously looking for an extension, whether it's with the 49ers or another team. He's obviously looking for a little bit more money, and you can't blame him considering how the 49ers have utilized him. But nonetheless, as soon as that was made public, obviously Green Bay Packer fans losing their minds, hoping that somehow Debo Samuel will make his way into Green Bay. Now, is there an outside chance? Of course there is. Anybody who goes and asks to be traded or who's out there on the free agent market has at least a potential 
to become a member of whatever team that you root for. And obviously for us, it's the Green Bay Packers. After getting Sammy Watkins, as we noted in the last episode of our podcast, you probably have a situation there where you have a solid number two receiver based on the number Sammy Watkins has put up as of late, a very talented and skilled yet number two wide receiver. So the Packers are still looking for that number one receiver. And it wouldn't take much if you're going to go ahead and interview Samuel about what his role would be. Whatever team he ends up with, and it may still be the 49ers. The 49ers may still find a way to work this all out. The biggest thing will be if he stays in San Francisco, it will be about an understanding, at least with him and the rest of the organization, regarding him not wanting to play what I'll call a running back position. They've used him much like uh, college teams will use a receiver who's very, very talented. And yet at this level, it, it just doesn't go well when we're talking about longevity. And so Debo Samuel, I think, is sitting back going, if if my career is going to have any sort of longevity, somebody's got to get me out of the idea that I am also a running back. So his request has been out there, as we noted, and many Packer fans are thinking that he would be a great fit in Green Bay. And guess what? He would. Debo Samuel and Sammy Watkins, that, that would be a heck of a receiving room to begin with. Now, in order to get somebody like Samuel, what would you have to give up? What would you have to move? What would be on the block in order to bring him in? The San Francisco 49ers, as I said, have him under contract for this year. He is not a free agent. What would be the price tag, and do the Packers have enough in order to make it happen? Does the 49ers want to make that trade within the conference? Do they want to go AFC if they're going to trade him? Would they go to, let's say, the Jets, who have a ton of draft capital going into the draft here in, what, a week or so? Just a little over a week as we get ready to, as I noted before, have our draft podcast coming up. But where would the 49ers want to move him? What's the relationship between the front office in San Francisco and Green Bay? There's a little bit of trepidation there. If you remember last year when they made that initial call and made it known about Aaron Rodgers, that they were seeking the potential of a trade to bring him in and the firestorm that created. So what's the relationship there? There are a lot of questions. I think Debo Samuel will be traded. He'll head to an AFC team. I think the more likelihood of the Packers getting a veteran number one receiver still lies in Seattle with DK Metcalf. I think DK Metcalf will be the one that ends up wearing green and gold when all is said and done once Seattle decides what they want to do with their draft choices. They are in the midst of a rebuild. They want to call it retooling. We'll call it a rebuild. And in doing so, gaining draft capital is essential to get that process to work. Would that process also include maybe a Jordan Love getting thrown into the mix? Because as we said in the last podcast, the quarterbacks that are going to be available in this year's draft 
aren't really bowling anybody over. You got a couple. Don't get me wrong. There are a couple. But overall, this is not a deep class when it comes to quarterbacks. So could a Jordan Love garner some attention? Because here's a guy who's really still kind of raw that you can develop, but at least he's got a few years under Aaron Rodgers learning the system. And when I say the system, I'm not talking about the offensive system. I'm talking about the system of just that transition between college ball and professional ball. So he might be a valued commodity. So watch where Debo Samuel goes and what he garners because I still think that's what the Seahawks are looking at. They're trying to see if someone else with the stature of a DK Metcalf lands someplace and what they garner as far as what they're going to be willing to do when it comes trade time. And I still, my hunch, other than I have no other rationale other than a hunch, is that DK Metcalf will find himself in green and gold before the start of training camp. All right, I want to switch over and talk some USFL. I'm fascinated by the USFL, and part of the reason I'm fascinated with it is the fact that Fox owning the USFL now and listening to uh, some of their shows making my way around town on the national level, how much hype is being thrown into the USFL on the Fox radio network, obviously the parent company, trying to really sell the product of the USFL and how good it was. They talk about how great the action was last week. It was okay. It, I, don't, I don't think it really, if you, if you look at it from the perspective of just football, it was okay. It wasn't stupendous. It wasn't great. It wasn't like the next best thing. Nobody in the NFL is worried right now about the USFL. And the fact that Fox owning it, they're going to invest some money. So I know in the past I've said, wait for week four or five to see if this thing exists. And I waffle back and forth. Based on what took place this past weekend, if it was anybody other than Fox, I think this league would fold probably by week three. The fact that Fox has ownership in it, they might find themselves lasting the entire season. Fox is betting, no pun intended, that people will get involved and interested in the USFL through a gambling avenue. And the amount of shows now Fox is investing in, as far as gambling on sports goes, That is one of the reasons why I think they've invested so heavily in the USFL. Now, last week, three and a half million at one point watching the inaugural game, three million on average overall, a decent opening game for the USFL as far as viewership goes. But as I was saying in the last podcast, part of viewership is watching not only the game, but a spectacle. You want a spectacle. You want to feel as if, even if it's like the Lions and the Cleveland Browns and you're watching the game on television and you're seeing Ford Field and it's sold out because it's the Lions, it's the NFL, and people still go. You want to watch something that has a degree of spectacle wrapped around it. When you see the games over the weekend, where there was essentially nobody there outside of Friday, it's hard to get excited. So 
you had 17,500 in attendance on Friday night. Not bad. Not bad. Here's the thing. If you dig a little bit deeper, the USFL, between selling and handing out tickets from the promotional side of things, gave away almost 40,000 tickets, which tells me that 22,000 and change, even though they had tickets in their hand, didn't bother the company. And I remember this on the arena football side when the Mustangs were here in Milwaukee. And I remember when there would be the game of the week on the NFL Network and the Mustangs on a Friday night were the game of the week. And they gave out just tons of tickets, just giving tickets away, trying to get at that time the Bradley Center packed to have a good showing. And I think maybe 1,200 people showed up for the Friday night game. It, it, it did not look good nationally or for the Mustangs who gave away all those tickets to have then no one showed up, showing up, excuse me. That's what this reminded me of. So WBRC.com, again, reporting that about 40,000 tickets were either sold or distributed in the area and then only 17.5 showing up. Now, another thing that I think will hurt the USFL, and I get it, they're, they're doing some things from a business standpoint to try to keep this league solvent. So kudos to them for doing that. Number one, why they picked Birmingham, Alabama to do it, I'm not sure. It's a city of roughly a little more than 200,000 people. And it's not necessarily a hot tourist bed. So now you've got this city hosting all of the USFL games throughout the season. And it's shown already by game two of the opening weekend that, eh, it, it, okay, we'll see. It's really going to be interesting to see once we get into the weekend here for week two in the USFL what will happen. So I guess when all is said and done, is the football okay? Yeah, there's not. it's not terrible football by any means. You've got a bunch of guys trying to get themselves out there, put their name back into the mix and trying to hopefully get an NFL job. And so you're seeing some names that you may remember if they played for the college that you're rooting for. For us here in Wisconsin, if you look at that Pittsburgh Mauler team, you've got quite a few guys who were Badgers at one point that are now playing and, again, trying to put some things on tape and hope to get to the next level. So from that perspective, okay, but there aren't really any names. There's really, at this point, nothing to attach to. And the fact that they've eliminated travel, again, trying to keep it business solvent, great. But are you growing then a fan base, even within your own cities, of the teams that now have a USFL franchise? I, I think it's going to be an interesting experiment. We've seen spring football kind of fail over the last few attempts for a variety of reasons, but I don't know if a team or a league, I should say, has had the kind of backing like the USFL has this time around with Fox. Yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. But as much as I wanted to wait till week four or five, I'm curious to see what Fox will do on the business side of things when the numbers just continue to do what they've done over the weekend and not, A, bring any sort of revenue in with regards to the in-person viewing of the game. And with that, with the fact that you had a bunch of people uh, dressed up as empty seats 
for Saturday and Monday night as well as Sunday. What does that then do for viewership and will people maintain any sort of interest in it? All right, that takes care of the football side of things. We've got some NBA playoff basketball as the Bucks fall, but not only did they fall, they lose a key player for a stretch of what hopefully will be a long playoff run for Milwaukee, and we'll get to it in just a moment. Welcome back in. Let's talk some NBA playoffs. And there's one thing to be noted as the opening round of the NBA playoffs continues heading into the weekend. They have definitely delivered. The NBA playoffs have been worth the uh, the attention, shall we say, watching it so far this year. And the best thing that you can say when you watch a playoff series or series is that there are questions that will arise, and there are a ton of questions that have arisen so far. So the Pelicans, they're tied with the Phoenix Suns at 1-1. The Pelicans get a uh, a steal, for lack of a better way of saying it, on the road in Phoenix and tying that thing up at 1. I don't think anybody has given the Pelicans a shot whatsoever, but when Devin Harris went down, All of a sudden, you saw some chinks in the armor on a very, very good Phoenix team. And so that one tied at one. They'll get game three going tonight, 8.30 here in the 4-1-4. Last night, the Grizzlies beat the Timberwolves. Memphis goes into Minnesota, gets a win, a win in which they came back from at one point 25 down and 16 down going into the fourth quarter. The Timberwolves had an opportunity to be up 3-0, and John Morant and company come back to win it 104-95. So Memphis, did I say, I'm sorry, I said they would have been up 3-0. Memphis leads the series now 2-1. It was a split in Memphis. Memphis now gets the win in Minnesota, so it's 2-1 now as far as that series go in favor of Memphis. Another one that sits at 2-1, Dallas beats the Utah Jazz. Dallas hampered their biggest star on the bench, injured, come back and still get a victory to take that 2-1 lead, 126-118, and the Warriors are just dismantling the Denver Nuggets. They now lead 3-0 as they go in to the weekend with a 118-113 win on Thursday evening. And for us, the biggest news outside of, I don't know, for me personally, watching the Nets struggle, I don't know why I enjoy watching the Nets struggle so much, but I do, and seeing what Boston is doing to them, and if the Bucks are able to move into the next round, whoever has to play Boston needs to be definitely worried because the style and physicality of defense that they're utilizing right now against the Nets has been really, really effective. And they now suddenly, to me, become 
one of those teams that people need to be worried about. I'd be more worried about the Boston Celtics than I am the Miami Heat moving into the next round. But for the Bucs, the Bucs now, after losing the other night, have to be a bit concerned in the fact that Chris Middleton has gone out with a strained ligament in his knee. That strained ligament will cause him to miss three, if not four weeks. So we're going to have to have guys on this Bucks team step up. Now, we talked about it in the last episode. The Bucks have been notorious over the last year in change as far as game ones go. And they were that way in game one against the Bulls. It's just that the Bulls were worse on that particular evening, and so the Bucks got the victory. I thought the Bucks would have snapped out of that haze on Thursday evening, but they didn't, and the Bulls stole one at the Pfizer Forum. So now the Bucks are even at 1-1 one and one and will be set to play the Bulls this evening. The Bulls, the Bulls are one of those teams that all year long nobody gave them any credit whatsoever because, number one, the teams they beat weren't really of – any caliber this season, and the teams they lost to were the teams who were playoff bound. And the Bulls getting into the playoffs seemingly have that we got nothing to lose mentality. Let's just go out there and do what we do. And they're playing loose. They're not playing tight. They've got quality on that team as far as talent goes. And they're just kind of throwing you-know-what to the wind and letting see what happens happens. And so the Bucs are really going to have to, now with Chris Middleton being out, really get in there and focus and play basketball like we know how this team knows how to play basketball. I don't think, at least to this point, Chicago has done anything that would really make me nervous as far as their defense goes. It's just, for me, it's the Bucs have just been kind of playing those first two games in a bit of a haze. And maybe Thursday night was that wake-up, slap across the chin that will get them going and we'll see what happens tonight again 7 30 down in Chicago as they get ready to play game three the Brewers hey they're in the midst of a three-game winning streak and we'll get to that one in just a sec talk some Brewer baseball. The Brewers, after sweeping the Pittsburgh Pirates to wrap up the homestand at American Family Field the other day, now head to Philadelphia for a road trip at Citizens Bank Park. They'll take on the Philadelphia Phillies. Brewers have scored 15 runs in those last three games against Pittsburgh, and it was one of the question marks I think many had when they struggled a little bit against the Cubs and lost that series, or even at times in that series split against St. Louis was run production, but 15 runs in three games is definitely a sign, at least, that some somebody is getting healthy on that Brewers team. Andrew McCutcheon leads the Brewers right now. He's got 11 hits and five 
RBIs. Rowdy Telez, Hunter Renfro have combined now for 20 hits and 11 RBIs. And we saw the Grand Slam the other day from Christian Yelich. So hopefully that's a sign of him coming out of what has been the better part of a two-year malaise uh, with his hitting. Hopefully the signs are pointing in the right direction for Christian. And quite honestly, even on those at-bats where he's made an out, I I can't say this, it happens 100% of the time, but he's putting the meat of the bat on the ball in many, many situations. And sometimes it's being caught, sometimes it's a ground out, whatever the case may be, but he's making good contact. And why is that important? Because we've seen over the last couple of years, Christian struggle a bit um, in the midst of what has been the better part of a two-year slump offensively since winning the MVP of just making solid contact. So the contact has been there. The batting average is slowly increasing, and we saw uh, a glimpse of, I think, what many of us wanted to see, which was the opportunity taken by Yelich to hit that grand slam the other night. So let's hope the Brewers now continue. When you think about the last four series, after that opening series loss to the Cubs, they have won two and split one. So as far as series goes right now, they are 2-1-1. One, and one. And as we said, again, this is a marathon. We can't lose our minds after every single game, even though as fans we love to. And I just wonder, how many tums does Craig Council go through? Watching him on the steps sometimes manage the Milwaukee Brewers or any manager in Major League Baseball, I just wonder how many tums they go through because, my goodness, the stress level is definitely there. But again, Brewers in Philadelphia to open up a series. The one really to watch right now is Freddie Peralta. He's 0-1 with an 11-5-7 ERA. Freddie has struggled here early on. So we need Freddie Peralta to get straightened out a little bit because the rest of the pitching staff has been okay. The, The bullpen has been a little bit less than okay, has made games a little more interesting than they need to be at times, but they're getting the wins. And so as we make our way towards the end of April next week and into May, you want to be a team that's finding its groove, getting closer to getting into that groove, because once you get into May, June, July, that's where you really want to start starting to at least separate yourself from, in our case, the rest of the NL Central. So that'll Gets set to take place tonight. Opening pitch again, Freddie Peralta on the mound, hoping to get things straightened out. I want to do something after the break I rarely ever do because I can't stand them, and those are hot takes. But it's Friday. It's crappy outside. Nothing has gone the way I think I had things scheduled to go today. So let's do hot takes. What the heck? And we'll do that right after this. All right, so before we close up our episode with a moment with Giannis, I want to do some hot takes. Why not? I can't stand them. When I listen to them on the radio, they drive me absolutely nuts. But like I said, today is one of those days and trying to, A, put the podcast together and some other things that have been going on where you schedule some things out and it just feels like whatever you try to do isn't working. So why not? Let's just throw some hot takes in and see what happens as we make our way through 
this Friday edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. Hot take number – I wish I had music to go with this. Hot take number one, the USFL will be folded by June 1. Now, we talked about the USFL back in the first segment. I just – the way the business model is set up in trying to uh, keep – constraints on the spending, which I completely understand. I get that Fox has a a bunch of money invested. I just don't know if it can be sustainable. And then if you saw on social media, and I forget which team it was, maybe it was Pittsburgh. I shouldn't put it out there like that because I don't remember the thing that went viral where uh, there was a young man who was on a USFL roster who got cut because he ordered pizza instead of a chicken salad and somehow that related to what his demeanor and focus was going to be uh, moving forward as a USFL player uh, that again kind of fosters what I'm getting at all right hot take number two be careful when you listen to sport talk radio or your favorite podcast including myself when the person behind the mic says I told you And then they talk about whatever it is they had predicted a week, two weeks, three weeks ago, and how they were right. Keep in mind, for everything that someone is right, especially when we listen to some of these national shows, they probably got 10 or 15 things wrong. But as soon as they got something right, they're going to tell you about it. So immediately they say, I told you. And when you hear the word, I told you, or I should say the phrase, I told you, that's when you should start putting some question marks. Because, yes, you could have been right, but what about the 15 million other things that you were wrong on and that you are passing over? And finally, hot take number three. Patrick Baldwin Jr. will be the steal of this year's NBA draft. Patrick Baldwin Jr. today, as of Friday, April 22nd, has declared for the NBA draft. And Patrick Baldwin Jr. uh, did not have the kind of season that he thought, I bet you his dad thought, the fan base thought, NBA scouts thought that he would have at his freshman year at UWM. Now, Patrick Baldwin Sr., who has been gracious enough many a times to join us meaning myself and Dan Underberg on the Journey House College Sports Show on 1250 AM, the fan here in Milwaukee, joined us after being let go by UWM. Again, I, he, he to me is one of those gentlemen of the highest character, and it was shown by the fact that you just got fired from a job, and you're like, yeah, I'll come on the show and talk about it. But when he was talking about his son, and at, when I asked him about what his thoughts were, and this was now almost the better part of at least a month, if not a month plus, one of the things that Patrick Baldwin said was that they, meaning UWM, didn't really supply a strength and conditioning coach to the team till I believe he said September. Patrick Baldwin Jr. has been dealing with this ankle issue for quite some time and really would have benefited from a strength and conditioning coach and helping him get ready for a, the season and obviously what this next step will be. And because Patrick Baldwin jr. Had such a rough go of it 
his freshman year, his stock has fallen. His stock has fallen from what many thought would be a projected lottery pick to someone now who figures they will go late in the first round. I'm telling you, if this young man figures a way to get healthy, if they put the right pieces around him, and I'm talking about now from a medical staff, to get that ankle straightened up and flying right, Patrick Baldwin Jr. is going to be the steal of the first round in this upcoming NBA draft. All right, we're going to wrap things up as we always do now with a moment with Giannis. And I want to thank you once again for joining us on the 414 Sports Podcast. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button. Appreciate you tuning in. Have a great weekend. We'll talk on Monday, and we'll get ourselves up to date with all of the NBA playoffs. We'll see how the Brewers do with their weekend series against Philadelphia. And the Packers always seem to make the news, and we'll cover them as well. Have a great weekend. This is A Moment with Giannis. <laughs> so, are you guys see the new movie, Constipation? No? Constipation. It's because he hasn't come out yet.